everyone, and welcome to the Change Makers Podcast, where we chat with interesting and engaging individuals here and far about change, making change, living change in their own lives, how they've experienced unimaginable change, and innovative ways people uplift the lives of others. We chat about triumphs over tragedies, mindset matters, and how we live out our life's purpose inspirationally. So please join us to be inspired and empowered to be the change you want to see in this world. You know, we can all be change makers in our lives. Here's to the change you're about to bring forth. afternoon everyone thank you for joining us for another episode of the change makers podcast i'm kimberly rice coming to you this afternoon on the east coast and want to welcome you here to our change makers podcast my guest today is dr gleb saporsky disaster avoidance expert uh, which is a very intriguing title um, he has um, been in the world of speaking and training and Um, working in the neuroscience of behavior for many, many years. And so the topic that we're going to speak about today is why companies, businesses um, should hire women over men according to the science. So Dr. Gleb, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to appear on the Changemakers podcast. So let's just jump right into it. Um, if you would please share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and what has um, brought you to the journey that you're on now. Happy to share. So my background is, as you mentioned, in cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics. And what brought me there was studying decision making. And why I got interested in decision making was actually from my childhood. My parents were, as all so many people are, gut-oriented decision makers. There's the very common advice, the most common advice that people, vast majority of people follow. Go with your gut. If you feel something is right, do it. Follow your heart, follow your intuitions, whatever phraseology you choose to use about this. So they did the same thing. Unfortunately, their heart and their gut and their intuitions and whatever often opposed each other. So for example, my mom liked to buy nice clothing. So she'd go out and buy, she'd buy a hundred dollar sweater. And my uh, dad was kind of a cheapskate, so she'd come home and he, you know, he'd yell at her that no sweater should be worth over $20. And then they'd go at it and they'd have a lot of conflicts so like this. And as a kid, that already impacted me, so that was problematic. But the worst part was time was when my dad, so he was a real estate agent and he had a variable salary based on commission. And then he actually during this one six month period, he made a lot of money, but he hid it from my mom. He said he made very little money probably because he didn't want her to spend it on sweaters. And so he bought an apartment elsewhere and he leased it out to some folks. And then in a couple of years, my mom found out and she was very pissed. She was very angry, very upset. They had this big, huge blowout fight. She kicked him out of the house. So he had to live in that apartment that he bought and was leasing out. 
And that very much impacted me. So as a kid, I saw that and my, saw my dad rarely lived with my mom. And that really made me wonder, why do people, my parents make such bad decisions, both of them making some really, especially my dad that time, making such bad decisions, you know? And nobody sat me down and taught me how to make good decisions. Like, hey, kiddo, here's how you make good decisions. I wasn't taught that in school. I mean, I was hoping I'd be taught that in college. I wasn't taught that in college. Nobody teaches that stuff. Nobody teaches you how to make good decisions. So I started studying this myself, how to make good decisions. And uh, shortly, I ran out of any reasonable content on this in the popular literature and they went into academia studying this as a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist and at the same time as i was studying it other people wanted to know more about it for me because i was great gaining expertise so i became a trainer coach consultant for businesses ranging from aflac to xerox so if anybody knows zappos give me a call uh, so that's kind of my background and my newest book never go with your gut how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters is epitomizes the my background in business consulting and coaching and for businesses and nonprofits and cognitive neuroscience the cutting edge of cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics research it's out it's been published in november 2019 and i have a new book out called the blind spots between us how to overcome unconscious cognitive bias and build better relationships that was just published in april 2020 so that's my background that's what i do and that's my expertise um well that's a very fascinating backstory as to what led you to um, <clears throat> pursue um, academically and then professionally um, the, the cognitive neuroscience and behavior economics. So we're, I'm just curious, um, I, you, you have cited some studies where um, that have involved Fortune 500 companies mm -hmm. um, that um, men and women are not treated equally, we know that. That's right. We know that women still earn proportionately less than men for the same mm -hmm. job. And um, we know that d despite women's academic accomplishments, professional achievements, that they're still behind on, mm -hmm. bo on board leadership and in, in critical decision-making roles. And so I'm just curious if you could share with us for a few minutes for yeah. all of us women who really, that really gets under our skin because it really yes. sounds like it has nothing much to do with us and anything that mm -hmm. we do, our qualifications, our temperament, whatever, but it has to do much deeper at the neuroscience level. Um, so can you speak to that? Yes, of course, I'll be glad to. This is something that's really frustrating for me when I see women treated unfairly as I would see anyone who is treated unfairly. But in this specific case, women are treated quite unfairly. So there was a study that examined managers, female and male, working in 20 Fortune 500 companies. What that study was, it compared groups of men and women, and it found that men experienced much faster career progress and had better salaries than women. Now, this is despite women doing all the right things needed for advancement, like getting an education, working in the right industries, and this is controlling for moving in and out of the workforce. So it's not about women going to take care of their families and not having career progress because of that. This is controlling for moving in and out of the workforce. So this study found that despite all that, there's still that glass ceiling for women. That's one study. I'll give you two more studies. There was another study that compared specifically 69 female executives and 69 male executives in similar positions in their careers, not managers, executives, higher levels. In comparison to men, women very clearly had and reported 
working much harder to overcome a variety of barriers and especially two barriers that are not often seen and that are very hard to manage and control from a perspective of discrimination, namely informal networks and mentoring. You know, it's very hard to control for discrimination in informal networks and mentoring, of course, but informal networks and mentoring are incredibly important in career progress. That's how you build up that trust, those relationships. That's my, what my new book is about, the blind spots between us. You build up the trust that through relationships, and if you don't have that mentoring, the, which is the senior to junior relationship for juniors, whether they're males or female, for from seniors who tend to be male right now, that's one and of course being excluded from informal networks of men and women so women are excluded at really a high rate and there was a third study it looked at over a thousand mba graduates from the same university and what it evaluated was their career progress and salaries women in that study so had the same education obviously coming from the same background same demographics women report experiencing discrimination much more frequently than men and where they earn less than men when controlling for work experience. Again, that's controlled for work experience for going in and out of the workforce. Now, you know, there's many more studies that I can cite, but I think you guess the, the point. This is, the glass ceiling is very clearly real. Now, when I give keynotes and trainings on this topic, and I, by the way, I describe this in much more book, you know, much more depth in my book, Never Go With Your Gut. So I talk about this in my books. I talk about this in keynotes and trainings, whether to a male audience, female audiences, whatever. I usually share such findings. And what if I'm sharing it with a male audience, or at least some males in the audience, right, mixed audience, there's a, often male audience members say that, hey, you know, they try to come up with explanations that don't involve discrimination. So they say, well, you know, women go and take care of their families. That's why. Or something like that. Or women are not aggressive enough or something like that. But what I note, what I highlight to them is that these studies control for women going to take care of their families. So this is factors addressed. It's not about women taking care of their families. It is about actually actual discrimination, real discrimination. And there are psychological reasons for that. And that those come from how our brain is wired. And there is the wiring in our brains is the fact that our brains are not adapted for the modern environment, especially the emotional part of our brains. It's not adapted for the modern environment. It's adapted for the ancient savannah environment. That's what we feel comfortable with. That's what we feel is the right thing. So the, our gut reactions, our intuitions, are to treat people like they're in the savannah environment. Like we live in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people, and like we're hunters, foragers, and gatherers. And of course, in those tribes, strength, physical strength was very important. And so in that environment, it was very natural and appropriate from a perspective of who, what is the best survival mechanism for males to be in leadership positions. Now, in the current environment, physical strength is not nearly as important. In fact, emotional strength and social intelligence is arguably more important and women possess more of that. But our, that's not what our gut intuitions tells us. That's not why women are not uplifted, are not highlighted because of that. And there's a specific cognitive bias called the horns effect, where we look at one characteristic of someone and we trust and judge that person less than they deserve just because of that characteristic and that specifically gender. So women are discriminated against simply because of their gender. And that is an unfortunate dynamic that really hampers women's progress. It is extremely troubling. Um, and before I ask you, you know, steps of 
um, how do, is it possible to rewire the brain? Is it possible to change these behaviors so we can, you know, see the um, incidences of discrimination decrease? Yes. So what we need to do, first of all, is understand how this discrimination is hurting companies. Companies care about their bottom line or nonprofits care about their mission. Whatever organization you're working with, it cares about its mission, its goals. So you have to show that company and the leadership that what is happening here is really hurting your goals. It's not simply about diversity and inclusion. Diversity and inclusion are very important. I'm giving a talk at the Forum for Workplace Inclusion in a few days, and I'm very supportive of diversity and inclusion. But this is separately from diversity and inclusion itself. This very much hurts the bottom lines of companies because what happens is that women are not hired for positions for which they should be hired. They are, if you look at a woman and a man and you look at their resumes and you look at their comparative salaries and their progress in the workplace, women had to work much harder to get to where they are compared to males. That's just a fact because they are discriminated against. They have to work much harder. So if you look at a man and a woman in the same career progress and the same career position, the woman is going to be a much better worker, much more fit worker. So she's going to be much better for a position in which she's applying for. So that's why companies should prefer to hire women over men. Kind of that's the content of the article that uh, I wrote about this topic. You should prefer as a company to hire women over men when you look at them and compare them and they look similarly on paper because women are going to be much more productive for you and they're going to help you have a much better bottom line. So you need to get the company to understand that the, or the nonprofit to understand that you want to prefer to hire women over men separately from diversity considerations purely because they are women. And there is actually clear research showing that having women in the company, more women, is better. So there was a study of companies using the 1996 to 97 National Organization Survey. And it found that the greater gender diversity in companies is associated with companies having more customers, greater sales revenue, higher profits. There was another study that showed that having women occupy at least 30% of a company's board of directors. So it's a top level position, leadership. So this is not about simply gender diversity within the company, but at the top levels, which is the hardest position for women to get into naturally. If you have at least 30%, that correlates with clear increased profit for a company. Another example was looking at business teams themselves, another study. It found that gender-balanced business teams compared to the typical male-dominated teams had better sales and profits. So again, gender-balanced, better sales and profits. So the smart money is on hiring women over men if you care about making a profit. And that's what you want to focus on. You shouldn't simply focus on diversity and inclusion in arguing for hiring women. You should focus on profit, on bottom line, and make a business case for preferring to hire women over men. And that is the way that you create effective organizational policy, that you get people in across the organization, not simply HR uh, on your side. You don't want simply HR on your side. HR and then your organization is going to be, if it's isolated, if, if it doesn't have support from all other sectors of the organization, it's not really going to be able to effectively push forward the diversity inclusion agenda. But if you actually show that, hey, this is not simply about diversity inclusion, this is simply about the bottom line for the company and having the best workers, then you'll have support, broad support across the company. And that's what will enable you to encourage the company to hire women and break this glass ceiling at all levels. 
Well, wouldn't that be a hallelujah moment if we could? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to do. That's the message that I'm trying to spread in my speeches and in my books. And so that's what I often go and speak about. And that's what I said, you know, I get some pushback from males. And the thing is, as a male ally, it's much easier for me to make that message, to make that statement. And so I try to do what I can because it's really an important statement and simply purely about the bottom line. Companies should care about this very much. Absolutely. And a couple of things come to mind with that amazing information that you just shared with us. In working with women professionals across the country, um, over many, many years, I, I came across a study, and I, this is, I think, pretty common, um, common knowledge, is that there is something about women, the way that we are hardwired, that when we're being, you know, if, when we, if there is a job opening or a, or a position, corporate position opening, men will apply for the position if they, you know, factually only qualify for 60% of the job requirements as compared to women who will not even apply for the position unless they meet a hundred percent of the mm -hmm, requirements. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I mean, you know, clearly this is self-sabotaging. Um, mm -hmm. you know, even if organizations want to to hire them. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's very important for women to understand that their hundred, their equivalent of 60% is going to be much better than males equivalent of 60% because again, they had to work much harder to get to where they are. So they appear worse on paper than they actually are. And that's important for women to keep in mind that their own career progress has been held back. Their own salary has been held back. Their own skills are not as recognized by mentors, by informal networks. You know, what does that mentorship mean? The, your immediate mentor is going to be your supervisor you know, in any sort of position. And if you're going getting excluded for that mentorship, that means your supervisor is not giving you as much support as they should. They're not having as positive as the evaluations as they should. They're not pushing you for the kind of professional development and career opportunities that you should be getting. So you need to work against that. You need to understand that that's what's going to be happening. And you need to push against this natural intuitive tendency of your supervisor, just because that's the way that the, the human gut is wired. And they unfortunately are going with their gut, as are all you know other decision makers. So you need to push against these tendencies. Now, the one of the biggest reasons males apply for the positions that are sixty percent and so on is because they are part of informal networks and companies and and uh, part of in mentoring relationships where their mentor says, "Hey, don't don't worry about it. You know, these are others are technical requirements, or you know, I'll put in a super good good word for you." This is one of the biggest reasons why males apply for it. So you want to be aware that this is a tendency that just goes against your intuitions to apply for that position, and that males get a leg up because of these informal networks and mentoring relationships. So you want to work especially hard on developing strong informal networks and strong mentoring relationships to go against this tendency, to go against this intuition. I mean, many women don't even realize the crucial, critical role of informal networks and mentoring relationships and getting ahead in companies because they don't have a mentor who clued them in on how the internal politics of a company actually works, which pretty much in any company or organization, you have very, very important informal networks and mentoring relationships. So you want to specifically be on the lookout for that, deliberately be on the lookout for that and that will very much help you get a leg up when you're uh, when there's a position that's you know 60 where you qualify for 60 percent of it that's uh, you know that's that's very um enlightening so i just want to make sure that i'm clear and understanding because i'm sure every woman 
that listens to this podcast today will love it when I ask you. So are you saying, Dr. Gleb, that um, women's 60% um, response rate to a job is really at least equal to 100% of male qualification as they apply for a position? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that women's 60% is definitely better than men's 60%. I have no idea what the men's 100% is going to be like, and it's probably particular for each position. But a man who is 60% qualified compared to a woman who is 60% qualified, the woman is going to be much better. And whether how much better she is will, deter, will be determined by the individual context. Of course, I don't know that. I, but we can be very safe in saying that she's going to be much better than the man who's only 60% qualified. Well, that's still very encouraging. Yes. Um, very, very encouraging. So one of the terms that uh, I hear banding about quite a bit in, uh, in the world that I live in with women um, professionals and, and pushing for institutional equality in the workplace is the, the concept of implicit bias. Mm -hmm. um, and you spoke to that a little bit, but can you circle back around uh, and, and share with us implicit bias as it um, compares to, say, the horns effect? Yes, so the implicit bias is the unconscious and unwarranted assumptions we make due to our gut reactions, our intuitions, what we feel in our heart, what we feel with our instincts, whatever terms you have. That's what the implicit bias is. It's where we unwarranted assumptions, unconscious ones, ones we don't realize we feel we're making. It's when we're uncomfortable with someone. It's when women are excluded from networks of informal networks because men feel uncomfortable with including women. It's because when mentors feel uncomfortable mentoring women and that is the implicit bias and of course there's the same implicit bias when people who are hiring potentially in the position of evaluating a woman for promotion or for hiring for her for a position feel some unconscious negative feelings toward her and because they don't click the interviewer doesn't click then the woman is not promoted or the woman is not hired. That's the kind of implicit bias that I'm talking about. And the horns effect is a subtype of it. So it is a subtype of this implicit bias. And there's a broader category of implicit biases called cognitive biases. And cognitive biases are the dangerous judgment errors we make because of how our brains are wired. So this is what you need to be aware of. We're all vulnerable to it. We're, you know, Horn's effect goes on in all of us. Now, the critical thing is to understand and notice when these gut feelings, when these intuitions, instincts, when your heart, whatever it is, is causing you to make bad decisions, driving you to make bad decisions. And we know some categories of this form of bad decision-making. One of them is when men don't treat women with the recognition that their talents deserve and that's why women are held back so that's one specific category that we know very well is happening i'll give another one another one is uh, height so the, if you are sh a short even for males if you're a short male you're going to be held back compared to tall males there's a reason that the you know the average male height is 58 and the ceos of fortune 500 companies i think over 90 percent of them are over six feet tall so it's not quite a, it's not as bad of a discrimination as between women and men but that's another form of discrimination because in the savannah environment height was associated with strength and power and so that strength and power made it makes people feel comfortable with people who are in leadership positions if those people are tall and we intuitively feel that they are strong and powerful and therefore they're good leaders again has nothing to do with their actual ability to perform in current 
environment in the modern civilized environment because the modern civilized environment does not depend on their physical strength but we still make these mistakes and we don't realize that the people who are tallest may not be this may not be the best fit for company leaders at all and we don't realize that women who are of course physically weaker on average than males they may have some they have some traits that makes them in many ways better leaders emotional intelligence and social intelligence and that's something i talk about in my presentations and books well, that's you know that's I always knew that there was something going on with that. <laughs> I had read that statistic. I am five foot four, which I mm. I um, have read that that is the average height of a woman. Yeah. But years ago, I had a supervisor who was about five eleven. Mm. It was absolutely fascinating to me to, to just observe, you know, same group of people, mostly white men, in um, you know in, in a law firm. How how differently she was treated um, mm. than I was just just by her walking into a room. Yeah, and the presence that she brought with her because of her height that I didn't have the benefit. For. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, it's really real. <laughs> of course, it's real. Yes, all of these things are real. We have extensive research showing that it's real. So. <laughs> well, Doctor Gleb, this is extraordinarily fascinating and. I, I, it is my hope that the women audience that is listening today and, and, and will listen to our podcast will actually take a lot of the, the um, remarks that you've provided to us and look at it from a, a positive perspective that, you know, the, the first step to change is awareness. Yes. Right? Yes. And so we're all about making change and helping women professionals create the career and lives of their dreams by charting their own course. And one of the things that I heard you say very loudly is the power, I mean, we knew this, but the power of the informal networks. Yes, and mentoring, yes, both of those, yes. We as women absolutely must make happen. Yes. Be considered for positions that we're well qualified for. Absolutely, absolutely. And to know when some of the requirements for positions are just, you know, technicalities, luxuries, you know, would, you know, nice to have rather than need to have. <laughs> right, right. Well, we, we certainly want to give you, um, our audience, an opportunity to connect with you for, you know, speaking engagements or, um, you know, for training. Uh, you have a whole plethora of books. Uh, congratulations mm -hmm. on the publishing oh, thank you. of your new books. I'm, I'm also a published author, so I can identify with the work and commitment that is required to yes. make that happen. Um, so what is the best way for our audience to connect with you, Dr. Gleb? Well, my two books that I mentioned are published by great traditional publishers. Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Makes the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters is published by Career Press. The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Biases and Build Better Relationships is published by New Harbinger. So they're available in bookstores everywhere, in, new, in Barnes & Noble, university bookstores, indie bookstores, and of course, everywhere online. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, wherever you get your books, available on audiobooks and Audible. So check it out there. My own content you should check out on disasteravoidanceexperts.com, which will, on the blogs, you will find the article that has formed the basis for this conversation on why you should hire women over men according to science, and I, you can consider sending that to your supervisor and other folks in your company. So again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com, there's lots of blogs, videocasts, podcasts, articles, guidelines, manuals, decision aids, services like consulting, coaching, speaking, and training. 
and you want to especially check out disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe for a free eight video based module course on making the wisest decisions and addressing cognitive biases, which I talked about and implicit biases, of course. So again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. And finally, I'm highly active on LinkedIn. So if you have any questions about anything you've heard on this podcast, please connect with me there. Dr. Gleb Tsipurski, G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Gleb. Keep on keeping on with this amazing work and spreading it across our country because, you know, we deserve as women to enjoy the, the life and the career of our dreams that men have accomplished yes. a long, long time ago. So you're, you're, the work that you're doing is just invaluable, and we just thank you so much for that. Well, thank you so much. I, it was a pleasure to talk about this topic and share it with your audience. Very good. Thank you. So this wraps up another episode of our Changemakers podcast. And until next time, be the change that you want to see. Thank you. Thank you.